0: Are listening to the Bondzilla Podcast? The Bondzilla Podcast is an ongoing analysis of two of cinema's longest running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week we take a look at the giant turtle that represents Godzilla's biggest rival from another studio. It's 1995's Gamera, Guardian of the Universe. Yo, yo, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bonzilla podcast. I am Nick. I'm Will. And uh, we're back for more Godzilla ancillary stuff, uh, some f- more films. And this time we are actually going to be going... Outside the Toho canon, which I'm very excited to to, to discuss and, and learn a little bit more about.
1: Yes, the world of Dai, which is uh, the rival company um, that we will come to know. And uh, I I I would say love. I mean, I think if you are one with your your kaiju film uh, filmography, that Dai is a, a company that uh, should be held um, in in close regard. I, yeah. I believe because Nick today Godzilla is. Yesterday's news. Yeah. Like, no, nobody cares about Godzilla when it comes to well, last today's months. episode. No, he was last month. Two news. months ago. We really <laughs> didn't even talk about him last month. Last podcast news. Today, Nick, we are talking about the guardian of the universe himself, the, the- friend of all children, the Titanic Turtle himself
0: are these all official names uh the
1: last one no the last one i came up with is But friend uh, of
0: all children yeah yeah, yeah. friend He's, of all children he, is, he, he uh, is a, that's an yeah. official title yeah that okay. is an official okay a camera uh, the, the
1: giant monster i believe that's another official title uh the, the invincible
0: <laughs> the giant monster uh,
1: g- uh the brave gamma the brave that's mm. another uh, official
0: title so i will accept it because it's not you know it's not the same as the giant monster kind of gets a little bit too close to the ohio state university I mean, <laughs> i'm not a fan of the ohio state university right more so mostly so the use of the, the if they mm-hmm. were just ohio state university you'd be fine the ohio state university just it's going a step too far but like
1: if you apply that to gamera like if it's like gamera a giant monster doesn't quite have the urgency of, yeah it's like he's the giant monster
0: well i guess in his world yeah i mean there's all you know
1: I don't, I don't, unless that's a that's a statement that Dai was trying to stick to Toho. It's like, no, camera is the giant monster. I mean, that could be a thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Well,
1: why don't we get into it? So, Nick, today we are talking about the 1995 released film, Gamera, Guardian of the Universe. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: slap in the middle of back in the Hazy era, of uh, where Godzilla was in the Hazy era. Yeah,
1: directed, uh, directed by Suzuki uh, Kaneko, who
0: we may remember
1: uh, as the director of uh, one of the most critically acclaimed uh, Bonzilla entries. <laughs> Maybe uh, if we've ever had a most controversial episode, which this says a lot about the the fans that do listen to yeah. the show, is like I mean because the the feedback to that episode has been nothing but polite. Like I, yeah. I will say that that like the the people who have reached out regarding our uh, reception of that film has. I mean, and been, we haven't even
0: mentioned the film. It's GMK. Yeah. So,
1: Oh, sorry. I thought I had mentioned uh, GMK. Yeah. Um anybody who's reached out about that movie, like you've actually been awesome like feedback and it's been awesome conversation talking about, but uh, it is interesting that all of this eventually leads to uh, that film, which is a, Uh, A a film that, you know, we have no shame in saying that we we may not have been the biggest Biggest fans of. of. Um, But... uh, I mean, it happens. Yeah, but I mean, but still, as we had mentioned in our Bond episode, like all these directors have added a little bit of DNA into this entire Godzilla monsterdom. And uh, um, uh, Kaneko's work on Gamera is no no exception and probably is one of the most... uh, one of the biggest, most important contributions to monster filmmaking, especially in Japan, um, as we delve into it. So, um, yeah. So, uh, my first question to you, Nick, as we get into this film. Yeah. Knowledge of Gamera at all going into this, going into this podcast, going into – because you might – I mean, other than you – I have probably mentioned it a little bit over the course of talking about these movies – you going into this episode just i want to know your general feelings about your knowledge your feelings your excitement what what were you thinking as we were heading into this episode
0: uh so Gamera as a whole i knew it was another japanese monster um that was not in the same universes as, as as godzilla like i did i did know that it was like kind of another company or another you know independent thing i, I didn't really know what it was i just kind of knew it wasn't in godzilla in the godzilla world uh, I knew it was like a turtle of some sort. Like I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know like the specifics, but I knew it was like a, a turtle creature. And I basically knew, I kind of knew it most from again. There's this one specific joke on Cheap Seats, which was a sports mystery science theater show. And it was an episode where they they got the guys from Mystery Science Theater to like do commentary on their own like skit, like not part of the sports, but part of the skit. And at one point, I think it's Mike from Mystery Science Theater, and he says, at this point, I'd wish Gamera would come down and smite us all. Right. And it's kind of what I knew, that it was kind of this creature that maybe came from the sky or something like that. You know, I didn't really know much about it. Um, and, and in terms of that, though, I, at going through this whole podcast, having gone through all the Godzilla monsters and having seen the entire Godzilla canon, I was extremely excited to eventually get to Gamera, which I knew we were going to at some point or another. Uh, because it is kind of a new monster to discover. And just like we once upon a time discovered Mothra and Ghidorah and, you know, Ibira and everything like that, it was just kind of like going to be unique to kind of see not just a new monster, but like a completely different company take on a monster. Would it be different and how would it be different? Mm -hmm. Or how would it be similar to Godzilla? So I was was very excited in that sense and very excited to learn, especially because of the format of this podcast. I knew that we weren't just going to watch the movie, but we were probably going to get a extended history of Gamera as a film franchise and kind of its place in that kaiju history. So I was very stoked to kind of find out more than just my brief kind of mystery science theater based knowledge of the character. It,
1: Gamera was always, for me, one of those creatures that, you know, I, I think it was very clear early on for me is in my Godzilla fandom that it wasn't part of the Godzilla canon because the thing about Godzilla creatures is that if you are any fan of godzilla like the the, the rogues gallery or like the uh, other monsters are very apparent like you know them pretty much right off the bat if you know godzilla right you're once quickly you, once, gonna know about Mothra. once you Mothra start, yeah, and once Rodan- you start yeah. looking them up yeah yeah uh and gamera was one of those things where i had always known it was uh, a creature in his own right that had no relation to godzilla um but um but that's a as About as much as I knew about it, and it wasn't until much later did I really understand some of the more um, uh, hidden cultural importance of Gamera, or like um, just how he fit into the whole puzzle of kaiju filmmaking. Um, So before we get into uh, this Gamera, the film that we're going to talk about today, um, because Gamera is predominantly divided into only two eras thus far, uh, the Showa era and Heisei era Gamera. Um, no Millennium era Gamera. No, there, there is no Millennium ga- uh, era. No Reiwa era Gamera. No, but, which, which we will talk about um so before we get into uh today's film which is a hasty era gamera we are going to go all the way back to the Showa era which i know is one of your favorites um and uh we're going to talk a little bit about not only gamera but the uh but dai studios which is uh dai is the uh um the studio responsible uh for gamera
0: absolutely and i wouldn't have it any other way um i'm sure our listeners would not have it any other way (laughs) either
1: uh, so Dai was a, uh, just to give a really brief context of Dai as a, uh, as a, uh, company, um, is that, um, they were, they were founded in, uh, 1940 was when they were initially founded, um, they were responsible for... They had a bunch of films under their belt. Probably the most famous of them is uh, Kurosawa's Rashomon um, was oh. the, the biggest one that they were uh, responsible for. Um, now so, we flash back and yeah. find more, more information. <laughs> Give more context more to it. More <laughs> to, to our, our,
0: our personal viewings of Rashomon back in, in uh, college. Uh, yeah, no, because I think, yeah,
1: that, that's right. That was definitely a college viewing for me, which is a movie that I need to go back and rewatch because I remember liking it, but you, it's always weird, like when little years go by, like you know, because it wasn't that long ago. But I feel like if I watch that, movie well, that was now, like
0: what was that freshman year for us? Is like I want to say either freshman, freshman or, or sophomore. sophomore. Yeah, but the thing is, is like even my context, like that. I mean, just going back to like how different I am now, because like that class was very much my real introduction to like non-animated foreign features right mm-hmm. right like i would maybe seen run lola run before i think i had mentioned we were just talking about our first foreign films because parasites just one back's picture like our first foreign films and i think Deservingly i servingly so yes uh and i think that like in in high school i looked up run lola run because i just kind of liked the concept of it but then a lot of that class was like the first time we're seeing it and you're like kind of discovering this new thing but nowadays because of this podcast a lot of times but now just just me as a film goer and a film fan just kind of being more adept to Watching things with subtitles and 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 taking in different cultures, it's like a lot of those films that I saw in that class would really like to see again. Rashomon being one of them, but it's like it, it's just like because just even with this podcast, it's just like you really get a chance of the different different world. But it is interesting that like this studio, um, you know, has that kind of legacy of, of you know
1: Kurosawa behind it. Oh yeah, I mean it's to give a little context that there is some clout, but behind oh, yeah, the studio, yeah. so. Um, so those are just to give you a little bit of context of the studio that we're dealing with, but we're going to fast forward a little bit into the, um, into the early mid-60s, uh, era. And, um, basically at this point that Toho, um, has made a boom with Godzilla. They, you know, they've had the original 1954 release, but at this time they have a bunch of different Godzilla films under their belt. Um, this would be because the original, uh, Gamera came out in... Sixty in six. Yeah, sorry, just looking at my notes. Uh, came out in sixty-five. So, if we think about our Godzilla history at that point, I think this is also around the time that uh, Astro Monster has either Mm -hmm. come out or just came out. So, we
0: have King Kong, we have Mothra, we have versus Mothra, we have versus Ghidorah. And
1: then plus all the other Toho creature features that have come out.
0: Rodan has come out, original Mothra has come out, all that sort of stuff.
1: So, Japan and their studio- Or the Gargantuans? Yes. (laughs) That seems to be the one that you're most fascinated by. It's the second or third time you brought that one up.
0: Well, I think it was just because it was randomly in what? In SOS. In SOS, yeah. yeah, It was randomly mentioned there. I think that was just kind of like of all the movies because it's a one. It's really like the one that I know about from that era of Toho that Mm -hmm. like has never like actually like it's not like versus that creature because like Rodan, you know, he fights and Mothrae fights like that big giant like kind of weird Tree Bigfoot thing that that walks around. Gyra Gyra yeah. Like he never, Godzilla never fights Gyra so yeah. like it's kind of like the like it's kind of the mystery, yeah. You know, it's I kind feel of like the-
1: we're just we're we're uh, overdue for like that's such like a modern day move like of like we're going to pay tribute to war of the gargantuans. Like uh, that's, that's yeah. But
0: anyway, so we're, we're in that era of like Astro Monster. So the Toho has established its monster verse and it is in the full breadth of it. Yeah. And at this point
1: it's, it's very popular and all the studios in Japan are trying to hop onto this, uh, the bandwagon. They're trying to find out like, as all studios do, what is their big monster film?
0: And so I'm sure there was a 60s Japan version of dark universe, Oh where, God! Yeah, where there was like a big splash of like this is our new monster, and then it went nowhere. Can you imagine? Now I'm just thinking about that monster, that
1: that Dark Universe picture of like all the actors, and I'm just thinking about that picture, but with monsters, yeah. and then it just never comes <laughs> never to come fruition. into fruition. I love that. Um, So Dai which is probably one of the more successful studios, uh, they're thinking of, all right, well, we need to come up with our creature feature. Like, what are we going to do to combat or, like, to uh, take part in this race for, like, coming up with monster films? Um, So uh, before we don't quite get to Gamera yet. And this is where our first fun piece of information uh, comes in into because, um, and and, and first of all, before we get in there, I do want to highlight this fact because uh, we are again, because this podcast is a little bit about like looking at some of like the film history and seeing like uh, certain cycles happen and everything. Uh, It is interesting to hear that just on the Japan front that all these studios were just trying to like find out like, trying to piggyback off of the Godzilla craze, which is is something that we've seen uh, time and and time over in our own film industry. Yeah, and and
0: even, like, I mean, like, this is... I mean, I know it's, like, a thing that was featured on one of the recent seasons of Mystery Science Theater, but if you actually look up the history of, like, even other, like, areas of that part of the world, other film companies in, in, like, other parts of that world, were even trying to cash in on it. Like, uh, you know, South Korea does Yongery, which was featured on one of those Mm -hmm. Mystery Science theaters. But even when you look up that film, that does not only cry to kind of capture that Godzilla love, but also does feature cultural aspects of Korea within that movie itself. So mm-hmm. it's just like, this is interesting to consider that. Yes. It was like within that area of the world, there was definitely a monster fever.
1: Now, one of the interesting things about Dai's approach is that while they wanted to come up to a with a creature feature of their own, it wasn't necessarily like, let's do a Godzilla type movie. They were just taking the thing where it's like, well, Godzilla is a monster. Let's do our own monster film. Mm-hmm. So, this is where the most interesting aspect of it came down. Because as they were thinking about, what are we actually going to do? The first thought, Nick, was not turtles. It, was, it, it wasn't it. was the turtles themselves. It was rats. So, they didn't go with the turtles. They went with Splinter in this one. <laughs> oh. um, their thought was, and this came out of, because I believe Dai uh, was responsible for a uh, Japanese release of the birds at the time. Um.
0: Yeah, it would have been that right? Yeah.
1: Um. That they had done like their international or Jap- Japanese release of that, so they were just taking some inspiration of that. It's like birds gone crazy. So what? What was something that would be the equivalent of that? And somewhere in the studio, they came up with the idea of rats, rats going crazy, rats in hats. Yeah, let's do it. Because what's interesting about the origins of Gamera is that it is kind of one of those things where there's so many tales and legends about how they came up with Gamera. There's yeah. like legends of like the directors like, you know, saw a cloud that turned over that like looked like a giant turtle and then he came to the studio he's like, I ah, I I had this vision of like a giant turtle and we have to make a, a, a film like that. And uh that and so with all of this and with all of like kind of like these Japanese filmmaking things, um, that there is a level of like really check your sources on it. And because we had talked about with a lot of the Toho films that the film documentation of like keeping in touch with like the history and like the behind the scenes nature of it wasn't quite as well documented as it may have been today. Uh, so there's a level of like, Oh, always, always check these things. And even if we say it, always check it. Cause you never know. Um, but, um, I've certainly gotten things wrong with this podcast. Before. Yeah, <laughs> and then, and then you go back and then you think about that. I should have gotten it right, but you know, well, I, I usually try to correct it. Yeah. Then we're human. Um, so so anyway so the rats so they go into this idea that like they're going to make a film about killer rats um this ended up being a disastrous production uh because their one of their uh ideas was that they were going to make like these model sets Um, and then use special effects to make, uh, these rats, like some of like the actual specifics of like exactly what, how it was going to be achieved is a little bit up in the air. Uh, but what they had found was that, well, they didn't want to use rats that you could just buy as like pets, like household
0: rats. So with a genetically engineered rats,
1: (laughs) imagine, I wish, I wish they did this. What they did was not quite as cool. Uh, but what they found is like if you the rats that you could just buy like at like your local pet store weren't quite menacing enough. Right. They yeah. were they were these clean privileged rats right. that that didn't they you know they you know they've been working in an office too long. They didn't have quite like the calluses on their hands that they needed for like the work that they wanted. Um, so what they did is that they would get sewer rats. They would get wild rats and put them together. And uh, I believe there was actually a uh, <laughs> that there was actually a, 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 like a, like a post to like you know get everybody in Japan. It's like, hey like if you can get these rats together and then like you know donate them to Dai Studios for this production, like that would be uh, helpful. But what they learned is that wild rats in a controlled environment, was not the way to go no Uh, not at all these were wild rats that would constantly attack each other they would constantly try to like you know uh have more uh intimate relations with each other uh it it, it was just a nightmare and to the point that allegedly and and i will say this allegedly and there's no no names attached because this is not something you want your name attached to allegedly is that they would try to even control the environment more by having uh Electrically charged sets To goad the rats Into the actions And directions that they needed them to go <laughs>
0: uh. Ladies and gentlemen a, a public Service announcement Animals In film <laughs> Cannot be Directed <laughs> under traditional means. <laughs> if there's one thing I've learned from watching all these animal Disney movies on Disney Plus, you just got to let the animals be the animals. Right. In that era. Like obviously nowadays, you know, like we get to you know, once you get to the era of, you know, James Bond movie making a horse jump off a cliff, we we have a lot more protection about animal Actors, oh yeah. this day and age. But back in the wild west days, the sixties, the seventies, when like you're just making animals, even like when you're just making animals, just do whatever, and you're fighting, having fight scenes near animals, like it's a very specific skill. Yeah, getting wild rats from the sewers, just not the way to direct animals. Yeah, not the way to go about it. And electrocuting them, probably a lot worse. <laughs>
1: I would say definitely a lot worse because at least like I each mean, other. Yeah. I mean if you really like... need to
0: if you need to electrocute Walking Phoenix,
1: <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, don't tell him about this. Don't don't tell him about Dai's uh, yeah. early early monster making. I know, uh, films. Is, we
0: were just talking about Walking Off at Mike before this. So yeah. That was the first actor that came to mind. But I could he have have, be he would be I upset. Could have, I could have said anybody.
1: He would he but he would have
0: been upset specifically. Um,
1: so. After that disastrous production, I think they were even, like, reported at one point that were, like, you know... Did like this movie the, like, come out? No, no, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, okay. they, they, no, they, they, like I'm saying, like, this is one of those films, like, they were trying to. I think that there is some trailers or footage of it, but it's been kind of, like, buried. It, it, it's one of those kind of, like... Uh, like half like wives tale but half like you know this is something they were going to do so like some of the specific specificities of it are a little bit up in the air but like because if definitely that movie the story- existed oh no 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 it's not I- a movie. i to- would
0: have need to see the final well, product so
1: the reason i'm saying this is because this is what led to the creation of gamera because they're original- rich they couldn't get sewer turtles yeah. <laughs> so they
0: had to create a suit so well the i
1: i mean what happened was is that their original idea was to do a monster film like that. And then that didn't pan out. And then they were out of ideas and what are we going to do? And then uh, a producer and executive at DICE said like, well, you know what? At this point, let's just do a Godzilla. Let's just put a man in a suit and let's do a monster movie like that.
0: And let's electrocute him. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Like we're still going to use it. It's like, we've already spent all this money on the electrical floors. We're not going to get rid of that. Um, so, uh, so they ended up, uh, um, coming up with the idea for Gamera, uh, who is a giant turtle. Now, why a turtle? Uh, a turtle has, uh, much more, um, spiritual significance in, in Japan. Yes, yes. Um, I do kind of know about this. Yes. Yeah. There is a lot of, uh, mythological, Mm -hmm. uh, significance to turtles in general, just within mythology. Yeah, there's like the
0: cap. Uh, or something like that
1: there there's the giant like there's the infamous image of like the turtle with the world on its back yes 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 yes, like with the with the i mean that's like kind of
0: like even like that eventually influences like turtles in japan even though they're making them villains but that eventually influences like uh um koopa yeah and and the koopa uh name which eventually becomes bowser in america but like that I, i know that from that much and there's, I, again, my Disney experience, there's an exhibit at Disney World about, there was like about Japanese cultural and stuff like yeah. that. And then turtles are featured very much in that too.
1: So, it, and it's an interesting cross-section because there is just a more immediate connection. And it, and it's also interesting because um, Japan, um, just as a culture and a society, have way more of an immediate connection to uh, their mythological and spiritual Right, because like roots the Tanuki of, yeah. is the same way.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, the Tanuki, again, also has the, like... Uh, because like the Tanuki suit and Tom Nook are both based on the Tanuki legends and right. stuff like that. But so yes, it, and, yeah, no, it just definitely... goes to
1: show that their reference point is like way more mean. Because it's like in in our society we don't necessarily have that. We have more of our religious connections with like you know our our Christian as Americans we have yeah. the bald eagle. Yeah, well we do, but that's more of like a cultural thing. We don't really have like a. I was a joke. Like, yeah, <laughs> but but when you think about it, like as Americans we don't really have like a no like a quick uh reference point for like animals and spirituality right. that well, necessarily yeah, Japan like, would yeah yeah um, so um so that was the, and then and then another thing that uh Japan is also known for is the uh I don't know how much you are aware of the concept of kawaii
0: Oh! Oh! At very sure much you that, that very much. Oh, so, yes.
1: And it's just uh, this is
0: when the like this is like the post war is when Kawaii was really becoming mm-hmm. kind of established, and, it, and obviously it becomes very much even more of a thing within the seventies and eighties. And that's yeah. where really Kawaii becomes, you know, it, it's big culture. Actually, that's funny because the current exhibit in Japan at Disney World is about Kawaii So I oh, is it really?
1: Yeah. Oh, so I'm sure it's all hello it's mostly hello kitty stuff is it like
0: no it's pretty probably wide breath well
1: i'm sure it's wide breath but i'm sure there's like a lot because like
0: like that's
1: when like hawaii became like a very like pop culture domo pikachu yeah and
0: and, but each like all the japanese cities have their own kawaii mascot or Mm -hmm. like lots of them do um i can tell you though based on that exhibit that hello kitty's blood type is a
1: oh yeah yeah have you watched the toys that made us episode about that i have not should it's really good. The reason I say that, though, is because it's like not only about like the 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 toy and the property but of Hello Kauai, Kitty, yeah. it, it it tells you about like all of like Japanese like like culture and yeah. The exhibit is really good. It's um, very it's very. If fascinating. anybody
0: goes to Disney World and skips the Epcot exhibits, don't. But anyway, but Hawaii, yes, yeah. Kauai is so like, this is this there's is a
1: level Kauai. of like all right. So not only does uh, Japan have a more media connection to the spirituality uh, the uh, the spirituality of them, but they also have this. Uh, um proclivity to like add like this cute nature to everything, add like this thing that makes it like more of like a um uh something that has a general appeal. Like, yeah, yeah. So so they're like, all right, well how can we take like something that has like some spiritual like reverence or something that like everybody has like an instant connection to, but then make it like like uh for lack of a better term Family friendly, and that's when they came up with, all right, well, let's make it a giant turtle, <laughs> because uh, there was uh, some si- significance there, uh, and ultimately that led to uh, their first uh, giant monster film in *Gamera: The Giant Monster*, which was released in uh nineteen uh. All right, so the giant monster
0: title makes a little bit more sense. That yeah. was you said nineteen sixty five. Yeah,
1: um, and it was directed by uh, Noriaki uh, Yasua. Um, Noriyaki Yusua, um, as a director, extremely green new director, didn't have, had very little under his belt. And it was actually became known as like, well, this is the movie that is going to make or break his career. Mm-hmm. And honestly, to the point that nobody, like it, because ultimately, it became a movie that nobody cared about. Especially like this is the studio that made like Rashomon at some, uh, and they had like caliber of like filmmakers and producers on it that, like, n- like there was a little bit of that feeling that nobody wants to make this like monster movie. Like you know, they, sure Toho's making them, but I mean, it, it, it's it still- was
0: very much like we kind of need to make this because it's everybody else is making it. Yeah. but there's still kind of that. You know, There's it, a stigma. It, it, it is like they're like the the studio that's like, Well, we need to come up with some cinematic universe. Right, yeah.
1: It, it, but th- this is their equivalent to like you know it's like the the prestigious director. It's like I'm not gonna make a superhero film. Like it's like you know I'm gonna yeah. make like something like a little bit more substantial. So um, so Yusua was uh, basically put in charge of this film. Um, everybody's like yeah, good luck, kid. Like and then you know there may have been a sense of like all right, this can crash and burn and you know whoever like this kid's a nobody. Like what what what's he gonna do? Um, yeah. The result, Gamera, the giant monster is a movie, huge success. Uh, It's a movie that comes out that is played a little bit more straight than I think that, um, than the history of Gamera would lead you to believe. It's a little bit more, not wholly in line with the original 1954 Godzilla film. It's not like that dark. But there's a level of, it is a black and white, giant, monster going around destroying things uh but there is a level of a character that they put in the film where i believe there's a there's a scene in the film where he protects a kid at one point or just saves a kid from being like killed and and whatnot so there's a little bit of like oh like oh so there is a little bit of like he
0: likes there there's a he likes the kids yeah
1: he's uh he, he he's uh he's empathetic to to a certain degree and uh, what Dai had found out was is that this was a, a film that for some reason spoke a lot to younger audiences. Uh, now at the time, I believe Dai took that as like, oh, well, you know, we're making kind of like a bigger, more broad appeal film, so of course the kids are going to love it. But all they saw was like big success. Gamera, the giant turtle, uh, or the giant monster, huge success immediately have to, make another one uh the film after the film after that so they bring so uh yesua who was the director so they're like oh you did such a great job so this is what we're going to do for the next one you're going to take a back seat to the next one and we're going to bring in a different director a more high caliber director to make this movie that now we know is a little bit more of a success
0: well that's uh that's filmmaking for you, I guess. <laughs> it
1: happens. Um, so uh,
0: in the following year, 1966,
1: is when Gamera versus Barugan comes up. Not to be confused with Barragon. Right, Barugan. Uh, uh, Barugan. Um, and uh, that was directed by director uh, Shigeo Tanaka. Um, and a lot of people have described that whereas the original film was a um, – Uh, A project that Dai wanted to be a A A-plus picture with a B-plus budget, Mm -hmm. ultimately— uh, I don't know if that was, like, what they said, but that's ultimately what it ended up being. So then they're like, well, now everybody loves this movie, so now we're going to make an A-plus picture with an A-plus budget. And it's like, so they put all the money through it. They put all the director that they wanted, uh, that they had more confidence in, in into into the film. Um, and that film came out with a little bit less critical reception, that film did not quite capture uh, the audience or like the energy that they were expecting uh, that they wanted. Right. And I should say going forward that in general, the Gamera films have been successful enough to make more of them. Mm -hmm. So, and, Overall, while you know, Godzilla and Toho is while Toho's pumping out Godzilla films, that Dai did find a creature in Gamera that was successful enough to create more uh features right, it's out not of it,
0: not too different than like that Showa era Godzilla, I guess, where it's just like you know, maybe like ups and downs, but it's generally successful enough that we're just going to keep like doing things with this monster, mm-hmm. no rats in sight, yeah. Um, so.
1: With that being – so with all that in mind, uh, they saw that bringing on a new team didn't quite reap the same uh, critical reception that they wanted and some of the success. So uh, Dai went back to Yesua to uh, create the third Gamera film. Uh, and this third Gamera film, I think, is going to be the most important to our conversation today in the 1967 film Gamera vs. Gauss. Uh, the Gauss is the, uh, flying creature that we will become very familiar with over the course of this conversation. And, um, over the next, over this and the next couple films, you see what delivered, uh, films that were more in line with the success of the original film. And while, uh, in all these films more and more increasingly became very kid-friendly, very much about, and this is where Gamera received the name, like, friend of all children, um, it, it became more of the – because I think Dai always – I think from the beginning they knew that this was a genre of film that was going to appeal more to kids in general, but they wanted to add enough there. It was more of like a family Yeah, and, uh, and, and I
0: think it was also the general direction of, you know, um, like haiju-verse in general because when you look at Toho, it's a very kind of similar distinction. Out, like 54 is a very distinct – you know dramatic film a little bit more of an adult kind of thing but by the time you're getting into this era and we're like either right at or not too far before we get manila in there and you basically like as you kind of get into from like king kong to like once you get to abira and son of godzilla it's very much like okay now this is a little bit more of like kind of a family friend more mm-hmm. family friendly like the monsters are like kind of oh yeah kids are going to root for the monsters type of thing
1: and then definitely in con- and i can
0: see like how Gamera went through that same kind of thing even if it was like a little bit faster because even that first film wasn't necessarily 54 but it, it does kind of take that route it, in
1: even in content like i mean this is one of those things where i would encourage just the biggest out-of-context looking at Gamera scenes. One of my favorite out-of-context Gamera scenes is um, when he plays the spine of uh, one of the... uh uh, one of his enemy creatures, like a xylophone to the Gamera theme song that was in the movie at the time. It's literally the creature on the ground. Gamera has like a tree or something and he's hitting like the spikes on his back and it's like making a xylophone sound of like the theme song and the theme song starts playing and then he does like a little dance to it. That's the kind of um, – th- that's the kind mm-hmm. of uh, – um, uh, yeah, filmmaking so, that we're yeah, talking about, so the,
0: even more on that kid-friendly side than Godzilla so, ever really got.
1: So Yusuasaw oversaw like the next couple films, uh, like obviously starting with Gamera versus Gauss, uh, Gamera versus Virus, Gamera versus uh, Giron, and Gamera versus Jiger and v- Gamera versus Zegra, um, were the primary uh, Gamera films. Um, to talk a little bit about how Gamera is being received at the time, generally successful films. But in Japan, in America, all across the world, the reception of the films was that just uh, kind of almost like everybody kind of looked at it as well. Even at the best while they enjoyed it, it was still just a lesser Godzilla. Mm. Like everybody just unfortunately Godzilla was up to the was already up to the bat, uh, never stepped back down and uh, was just more of the successful, well, more well-known Kaiju uh, film franchise and Gamera never quite got out of its shadow and a little bit is because um, while I wouldn't look at the Godzilla films as necessarily being like these super mature like you know well crafted films at least not all of them um, but everybody looked at that in comparison The Gamera were just like these silly little kids films in, in comparison to that. So there was a little bit that and, – and it's funny that was both internationally and uh, within the country is that it just – people did not quite embrace it to the point that I think Dai wanted them to. Right. Uh, to. And, but that being said, the Gamera became the closest thing that Godzilla had to a rival. At the time.
0: Yeah, I guess that is a very interesting kind of point in the sense that, like, Godzilla is kind of really, truly the king of the monsters and kind of stands on its own. Yeah. But, like, Gamera is definitely, even from my perspective, like, even if I didn't really know much about it, it's easily like the, the one I know would know second most. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like definitely like the second name that kind of comes into your head, other than, like, Godzilla. Uh, and some of the Godzilla-related monsters. It's like once you kind of go through that, like Gamera is like the the second kind of monster world that that kind of enters your the cultural landscape. So it is interesting that it never really got to those heights, but it still is something that kind of permeates on just the tip of that pop culture tongue. And and some of it also was
1: through goodwill that the Gamera series had survived into that point because none of those early Showa era films. I, I don't even think that even in modern day. They stand up quite to the same level that people look at, like the Showa Godzilla films. Right. Because I actually think that there would be a, quite a few peoples, even you included, that would say that the Showa era of Godzilla films actually kind of like uh, stand up as some of the more primary influential works out of all the Godzilla films. Uh, where I don't think the Gamera Showa films necessarily have that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually more of the inverse, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but nobody quite looks back at those early Gamera films and like, oh yeah, they really had it figured out there. Whereas in the opposite with the Godzilla films, a lot of people are like, oh, like as cheesy as they are, this is all the stuff. This is why we love Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Does, does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get you. Um, so. Especially
0: cause it, like we were talking about too, it's just like, well, I think what's impressive about Gamera is the fact that it is like, cause again, we were mentioned that there probably were a lot of other studios making kind of monster films at this time or attempting to, but it really is like other than Godzilla, like what's the other one that really stands the test of time in terms of continued success. Right. That's Gamera. Right. And like a lot of those other kind of mid sixties Showa era films, you probably even don't really know about, or, or basically more show trivia question, you know, trivia answers. It's just like, Oh, here's another one that was made. Right. Whereas like Gamera does get the chance to have a series and, yeah. and, 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 and and continue onward so even though it's like maybe we don't reflect on those Showa eras in the same way we do godzilla it is important to note that it was a series that is able to survive through the Showa era which is a big deal yeah uh and
1: definitely you're right just like having the few movies on under its belt to uh, at least put you in the same category as the godzilla films yeah. where it's like all right you you have um well they're not gonna okay, like, like, even with godzilla
0: it's like they, they know that there's an audience and they've been up and down but they're not gonna keep, stop making them just because, because they know that there's an audience for it. And Gamera it seems to be the same way. Like, as it and down, it's like, Dai could um, stop at any time, but they're making money, they're doing well for them, so why not keep going? Um,
1: so, after the release of Gamera vs. Zegra in 1971, uh, there was a little bit up in the air about what they were going to do with the uh, the Gamera series. But before any of those conversations...
0: And, and, just to reiterate, was it all that one director other than that second movie... Or was it like?
1: Everything in the Showa era was directed by Yasua.
0: other than the second
1: one. Other than the second one, yeah. Very. Uh, the, interesting. They, they went back. They went right back to, uh, so- and kind of like in a not too dissimilar fashion with Honda coming back and directing some of the more important uh, Showa era Godzilla yeah. Yeah. films. Uh, is that you, they basically gave Yasuo the, the, the keys to the Gamera car. it's like, they're just like... Well, I
0: mean, for a guy who, like, that was going to be his first film, like, very green and, like, just, like, basically, like, you're in, you're out, kid. And, you know, it's like, yeah, you kind of make the, a similar film, but if he's enjoying it he's making money off of it, like, good for him.
1: Well, it's like, you know, they, and, and it's funny because... And it speaks a little bit to Dai's... Uh, view of the Gamera franchise it's it's not dismissive but it's a little bit of like they're doing this because they want their monster series and they'll do what it takes to make mm-hmm. it the most successful so it's interesting to see that they had a director who made it hugely successful they chose another director because they thought they knew better and it wasn't successful so then they relented and went back to the person who made it successful and just gave him the keys to the kingdom. Um, So it shows that Dai was more interested in like making sure this was successful enough to bring in the audience that uh, that first one uh, that that first one brought in. Um, So after the release of uh, uh, Gamera versus Zegra. Um, it was up in the air what they were going to do. But Dai actually at this point eventually was facing uh, some financial troubles and had to actually c- claim bankruptcy at one point. Um, so it put a, a big pause in the production of a lot of their films, including the Gamera, uh, Gamera film. Uh, so the next Gamera film uh, we wouldn't even see until almost 10 years later in 1980 Uh, And this is probably the result resulting in the most damaging film to the Gamera franchise uh, entitled Gamera Super Monster, also directed by uh, Yesua. I've not seen it, but if you were upset at all monsters attack for its use of stock footage in films, you would have hated uh, Gamera Super Monster, which I... Uh, from my understanding and all my research is not only 90% made out of stock footage from previous uh, Gamera movies but is also made out of footage from other Japanese sci-fi movies and anime as well. (laughs)
0: And anime, yeah, <laughs> Whew. that is a whole nother level. Yeah,
1: so they, uh and this was one of those films where I believe that they were contractually obligated to make a Gamera film. So there was a little bit of like, well, we have to make one, and we we kind of want to make something that's like a f- for sure, uh, like like hit that people will come out to see. But credit to Dai at this point is that while the production of this film was going on, they actually realized that frivolously doing this would do more damage to the camera a brand uh, than was worth it. Uh, so, they actually made uh, a conscious effort to. Um, I believe Gamera dies at the end of uh, Super Monster mm. uh, because they were kind of like, I think they saw the writing on the wall that um, I and, and I and I don't because I haven't seen them film. So, it's either that th- ultimately this was supposed to be it for Gamera, like, even if they thought that they may do more with him in this iteration of these Yesua directed films, uh, of these Showa-era films, that this was going to be the last one. Because they felt that at this point, you know, they were going through bankruptcy. This film, I think they knew, wasn't going to, uh, this was going to be a low point, a possible low point for the series. And they couldn't see a way that, like, oh, we're, we're going to, like, Gamera is going to be a big hit after this film. So they're like, they basically designed this film to be the last Gamera film
0: is I'm so morbidly curious but it's also I don't know if it would have the same effect as all's monsters attack was because that was specifically very much like we had watched all these in order so I could recognize all the scenes easily. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one, I'm sure I would be able to tell that it's all stock footage. But unless I watched all those Gamera movies before, I don't know if that would have that same impact. But I do want to see if, like there is actual like anime footage in that movie and how like it plays. Well, the,
1: I, there's a level of other circumstances. Well, yeah, like, of, course, of course, of course. There's like the 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 bankruptcy. There's oh like yeah 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 other... like it
0: definitely seems like this was inevitable in terms of like, if you're going to make another one, it was going to be something to that extent. But it's just kind of sad to see
1: that. And this is 1980. So like other, like, you know, sci-fi films are like just crushing it in the visual effects department. Yeah.
0: And it's like, it's also like at this point, like by 1980, it's like, you know, Godzilla has been on, even Godzilla has been on a hiatus for such a long time now. Cause you know, this is a, you know, it's like last film was like the mid seventies and you know, you're not going to get another Godzilla until 84 So it's like even Godzilla is like off the table at this point and you're having all these other, right, like, you know, American international films that are doing these big sci-fi epic things. You have Star Wars at this point. So it does kind of seem like it was a lot of factors and you're right. You're very much right. The writing was on the wall. Yeah.
1: Uh, And uh, not only was the writing on the wall, but the period was drawn and uh, no uh, Gamera films uh, were planned uh, in the immediate uh, future as uh, Dai was uh, getting its uh, ducks in order and getting its production studio uh, back up and running. Uh, And then that is what leads us into the early to mid 90s. Uh, as we're entering the hazy era of the Gamera series. So Dai is in a better place at this point. That's good. And uh, they know that they have the rights to Gamera, and uh, it's time for a reboot. And they know, obviously, I think they were... they, they were taking advantage over... They, they they just didn't really have any qualms of, like, we're just going to bring Gamera back. Mm-hmm. Like, we put a, a kind of a bookend to our last series of Gamera films. We have the property. Let's do another one. Let, let's do it. The original plans for a new Gamera movie was to just kind of pick up where they left off and to pick up with the legacy of Gamera that they left off, that it was going to be a super kid-friendly film and that uh, it was going to appeal to families... Uh, just a modern day version of everything the Gamera has kind of ended up being over like the past like um uh several films that Gamera was in um but uh that version ultimately did not see the light of day uh when they brought in a uh, director uh, Shizuke Kaneko uh and uh, a little bit and we may have touched upon this in our GMK episode but it's very important uh, going into this film Kaneko. Was a huge fan of monster films. Uh, cites the Godzilla films and the Gamera films as movies that made him want to be in filmmaking, and the these were what he wanted to do. And ultimately, if you probably uh, like grilled him on it, way more of a Godzilla fan uh, because Godzilla is just the more popular one. Yeah. Uh, but um, and actually, this kind of refers a little bit to our last uh, Toho conversation where, um. It was at, for somebody like Kanego, it was just impossible for him to direct a Godzilla film at the time, especially when we're talking about the hey, the show in Hayes Sierra. Like it they were keeping everything in house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh they were just they you know, they were keeping on Subarai and, and uh, Ifakube Until they were basically ghosts <laughs> Like like they Like they were just not letting them go Like think about how many films Honda directed Yeah uh, The directors were either screenwriters from earlier films And they, they were just not about Like yeah. reaching out to other places Because even like
0: the last time Even like within the Showa era Like really like you know, when they really let direct like they kinda wanna keep it in the house because I feel like whenever they've really let directors kind of do other things, that's like when you get like the Hadoras of mm-hmm. the world and yeah. stuff like that. So and I definitely think that they are very careful of like, yes, like we do wanna give some freedom to these directors, but we also kinda wanted to kind of understand what we're looking for. Uh so Kanego comes on board and uh, he has
1: a uh, little bit of a different approach to this film. And uh, what we see is the first instance in the Gamera series of a gritty reboot. Uh, and maybe not so much as we've come to know and love the term today, but there is a little bit of like his pitch for the film is a little bit more of an earnest, uh, slightly more mature uh, Gamera film mm-hmm. um, with uh, a little bit more to do Because one of the interesting things I didn't mention with that second Gamera film um all the way back in the late 60s, early 70s, is that um there was a definite effort to make it more about the human characters and make a lot of there's way more scenes with like the humans just running around and like, you know, focusing on them and not enough of the monster action. And that's why it didn't appeal as much to the kids and the audiences at that point. Um, so skip ahead to now where Kaneko wants to make uh something that Uh, still honors a lot of, like, that Gamera uh, film making and monster fighting, but also just have a little bit more of a mature edge to it. Um, And then, ultimately, that results in our film today, which is the 1995 uh, Gamera Guardian of the Universe and is the first of Kaneko's trilogy of Gamera Hasey films. Um, And uh, other... Other than that, that that's kind of like the entire road that le- leads us up into this. Um, some information about them actually making uh, the film, uh, they completely uh, redid the origin for Gamera. The original origin for Gamera was that he was more of just like an ancient uh, prehistoric uh, creature that was awakened in the Cold War Uh, So not necessarily the direct evolutionary result of uh, nuclear weaponry, but just like the notion of that he was born. So kind of like
0: more more so like a mix of something like Godzilla and Mothra kind of an origin where it's like kind of, yeah, this ancient creature – but just awakened by by like yes. nuclear. Yes, and the
1: Mothra thing is actually a very good example because even in those earlier films, there was a little bit of like, you know, there, I believe there were scenes of like natives talking about, oh, there was the the legend of Gamera, mm-hmm. but like so the, there was a little bit of yeah, that. Yeah, but less there. of the spiritual nature yeah.
0: that like definitely permeates in this movie. Yeah,
1: so that was like a big thing, a huge reintroduction of, because this was like the big reboot. Like they were just redoing right. it all. Yeah. Um, so they uh so they uh um so they redo so they redo the origin of gamera and um one of the earlier decisions that they wanted to do is like, you know, they want a gamera to fight a creature, and who else do they get but the gauss? The gauss, Nick, um are ultimately the if you had to consider gamera having one primary foe, it is the gauss. Uh, the Gauss. Uh, how would you describe the Gauss just based off of this uh, film? They're
0: kind of like giant birds, kind of like seagull type creatures. Eat people. Kind of, kind of like have like a fleshy kind of look to them. Right. Um. They're like
1: because th- it's right. You don't want to really call them pterodactyls. They're like kind of like pterodactyl bat birds. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Again, there's a very seagull-esque nature to them. Yeah. Um just in terms of the way they move and interact with 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 their prey or their food especially. Um yeah, cause kind of a bat seagull skinny thing. Mm-hmm. Like not skinny, but like very like they like, look like skin, like look like like muscle.
1: Well, Gauss has the um the luxury of being uh, – the reason that it is often considered the number one rival to Gamera is because it has appeared in uh, the most Gamera films is that either Gauss or different iterations of Gauss have actually appeared over the course of, like, several Showa-era films. So it kind of became, like, that instance of, like, uh, you know uh, – it's kind of like a uh, you know what it reminds me of it reminds me a lot of like that you know the the first time they made a Batman film like with the Tim Burton Batman it's like well it's like of course we're going to have the it's not only going to be the hero but it's going to be the most iconic villain right, too yeah. where it's like if you made a gamma movie today we'd have to wait to the second movie to get gauss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that but that's kind of like what what it's like but
0: Yeah no but that I mean the very similar was like all those like like Spider-Man had to do Green Goblin first Batman had to do um right uh joker first right right um daredevil had to do kingpin i guess and bullseye and
1: bullseye i guess that's like a that's like a and electra yeah. all of them. <laughs> all, just put them all in the movie yeah uh <laughs> um, um, but th- but that's to kind of like tell you that like gauss is not it, it is a legacy character and is definitely a, a um um very important to the, uh, Gamera lore and actually made more important within this reboot. Um, so, so that brings, um, I'm trying to think of like anything else about the actual production of the movie itself, because, um, uh, they bring a lot of more spirituality to it, which, you know, there's not too much I want to say without getting into, into movie, yeah. the actual movie itself. I, I'm but, down to get to the But movie. How, so so just like with all of that, uh reflecting on just that history. It's very Gamera.
0: cool. It's very cool to kind of see just an alternate version of a similar history. Because you again, we just were going to the show in a Hazy, but it's really not too different than uh, it's it, different in some ways but it's really not that different from Godzilla where we kind of see oh we just kind of create this creature kind of becomes like a thing that we kind of keep making movies of then in like you know in a hasty era we want to do kind of a great like reboot and like in Godzilla's case it was kind of initially like 84 is very much okay getting back to the roots for this one it was very much like let's do something different let's kind of actually kind of bring it to you know maybe um In some ways, uh, our director here probably using a little bit of his Godzilla fandom to kind of bring a little bit Godzilla-ness into... you know, a lot of a little bit of that, like Godzilla, showing us into. Oh yeah, because
1: Kaneko saw this as like this was his in to make movies like this. Yeah. like this so was like def- what he uh, wanted to do. You could definitely
0: feel like he's like looking at this as like, well, I can take some of that kind of a little bit more of that seriousness that exists in some of those Godzilla movies, bring it into this Gamera world. Mm. Um, but it's just very fascinating, and I think it does relate a lot to kind of what I was felt like watching this movie too. And, and the biggest thing before we actually head into the movie
1: itself, that this is probably the most important thing. 1995, on the Godzilla end, what's happening at this point? Destoroyah. Yeah. Destoroyah. So we are literally finishing an era of Godzilla films um, while this new era of Gamera films is just beginning. And in a much similar way that Gamera had existed as a retort to Godzilla um, – back in the Showa era, that in the Heisei era, this gamma exists as a retort to these modern-day films, because now, at this point, we've had the entire Heisei era of Godzilla films, and frankly, uh, and I don't think th- this has been hidden from anybody, that, Dai and its uh and its uh producers and the filmmakers behind it did see the Godzilla films as not quite living up to everything that they thought that they should be. They were not quite as favorable to the Hazy films and they saw like so I think that there was a level of uh Kaneko coming in and doing this type of gamma movie um was different because even with the Hazy Godzilla films, there really wasn't quite a movie uh, like like that. I, I I would argue that point a little bit. I know that was kind of like the feeling. I, I think that with like some films like Destroya and uh, Mothra, they were doing some different things with them. But uh, yeah. I think overall, because at this point, Godzilla is the only game in town. Right. Nobody is making giant monster films to the caliber. Yeah. Because again, that there was are. that
0: there was that big break in the seventies into the eighties. Godzilla comes back with eighty four and then we we you know you can go back to our hazy discussions to kind of go through the history but you kind of slowly get like okay we get original monster back to new monster or back to our old monsters and it's very much like an interesting little kind of history of Godzilla but at that point like very much so like we talked about in that, you know like 84 in that era is that you know toho was now really competing with the other like american blockbusters that were coming out over over in japan that's what their main competition was they didn't really have much competition from any other monster stuff because that was just you know everything was on a break at that point for monster wise yeah so all that leads up into uh today's 1995
1: uh gamera guardian of the universe so nick let's delve into uh what this history of gamera has brought us to and what kaneko uh ultimately
0: delivered let's talk about the giant monster the last hope Gamera we bestow it to the cradle of time
1: hmm may it awaken with ghosts the shadow of evil
0: alright and we're back yes time to talk about Gamera Guardian of the universe yeah. uh, the start of a
1: brand new Hazy era trilogy um yeah so let's let, let, let's let's just get into into this one i do think because as we left off uh right before the break it was the most interesting to me when i first saw this film because i saw this film i'm a very
0: yeah new, you you got this dvd set or the blu-ray set about a year ago yeah from from our from friend of the podcast yeah. patrick mm-hmm Uh, it was a gift from him and so you finally started to delve into Gamera yeah and uh, like maybe briefly
1: before that I started kind of like getting a knowledge of what Gamera was and the the most I knew was that the I think I knew that he was a giant turtle and that the Gauss were a thing Mm -hmm. and I knew nothing about them other than like oh he fights giant birds at some point yeah Uh, so it was interesting going to this and and in many ways I felt and still feel that it was a good point because this is a giant reboot of the series. I actually think that you had said this going in is like you you knew nothing about the character and I'm like well that that's fine for for this instance because it's like they're basically reinventing the whole this is a fresh slate. Yeah. Uh or a clean slate for the uh um for the Gamora series. Um for the Batman fans out yeah. there. But uh, the clean slate—you mean the movie that reboots the series, and <laughs> like you don't need to know any any uh, cu- uh, previous information? Uh, but what? But it was mo- the most fascinating to me to know that this came out the same year as Godzilla versus Destroyer, and that almost for me, just from a uh, just a broader more general looking at monster movie filmmaking painted this movie in a very interesting light uh for me um so going into it that that was the that was definitely the most fascinating but Nick you you this was a complete uh new thing for you yeah gamma guardian of the universe uh so
0: let, let let's hear i want to hear what your what your thoughts and nick what did you think of gamma guardian of the Universe? first thing i'm going to say about this movie is it was fascinating to watch in the same way that mothra is fascinating to watch in the sense that mothra really felt like a return to the Showa era and going back to that era of filmmaking and, and just the style and the tone and everything like that and i felt that this was very similar in the way of just like going back to the hasty era and really feeling it as like kind of a style of film in and of itself not just being like, oh, just the Hazy era Godzilla films, but really kind of seeing that, like, this kind of Hazy Gamera film really fits into, like, just even just the kind of the style and tone of those Hazy Godzilla films. So it was very interesting to see it from an alternate kind of take. Um, In terms of the movie itself, it was good. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna, like, it's one of those things where. I, I was enjoying myself watching it. I definitely kind of got taken in by some of the more spiritual elements of the character. I, I kind of dig myself into that. But overall, as a movie, it was good. Yeah. And and that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, nothing, like, never really blew me away. Um, Sort of some things where when you really mention that this is the same director as GMK, there are some ele- like some slight elements where I can see kind of where this would eventually lead to that um but at the end of the day it was definitely like didn't regret watching it definitely (laughs) had a good time watching it um and definitely interested to discuss it a little bit more uh
1: this is probably kind of like skipping ahead too much but i uh, this is the question i'm most curious about i was most curious about this as soon as we ended it so i'm just going to ask it right off the bat how interested after watching it are you in finishing the trilogy
0: I think... Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a very good question. Yeah. I don't know if I would jump at it right away, Yeah, but I would be interested to know kind of what the other two movies involve because I am kind of curious to see what the next step is and what kind of other monsters are in it. I kind of am more curious from like a budding kaiju fan to kind of see more different monster designs and different styles of like movies that they could make. I will say... It's one of those things where I'm not going to jump right in. Like, I'm not like, I got to watch the next one right away. I would not be opposed to watching the next two. It's not like something that I would say like, absolutely not. But I do kind of want to know a little bit more about what those films are kind of about. I guess it's not a situation of like, I guess, how do I put it? It's not like like how I reacted to something like like a Cowboy Bebop, where I like, I saw the first episode or something. I was like, I need to see more. Right, right. It's a little bit more in the sense of you're
1: not opposed to seeing another one. Right, it, yeah. But it's like, it's it, like it, it, it Toy didn't... Story four. Yeah.
0: Like yes, I've I enjoyed myself with the Toy Story franchise. Like I I'm very infamously. Not as high in the Toy Story franchise as other things, but eventually, yeah, I'm interested to see Toy Story 4. It's not the thing I jumped at. Same thing with here. I'm like, I'm interested to see it. I'm interested to know what kind of goes on and what it's about, but I'm not going to jump right in. There's other stuff I'd rather kind of jump on into. The the reason
1: I say that is because – like, and again, this is jumping ahead, but – I don't want to say that it's – because it's not really the type of trilogy that, like, oh, now that once you've seen all three movies, now you get the story. Right, yeah. It's not like that, but I will say it's, like, people regard the Kaneko Gamera films, like, the trilogy of films, to be the shit. Like, like that is the the legacy of these films. Like, these films have kind of stood out as being, like, specifically the third one has been seen as being, like – Oh, this is like the best kaiju filmmaking. It like it's better than almost every Godzilla film. Like that—that's how people. That's the legacy of these films. Well, these are the people that do like yeah. GMK. So. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say because it's like there's a little bit of a. And, Not and, that you you can't you're allowed to like GMK. I'm sorry if I sounded really yeah. snarky there. You are allowed uh, and, to like that movie. So here's what I will say from where I stand right now because I am looking. I'm judging this movie and these movies with l- less time on them than I have the Godzilla films. Yeah. Uh, because I have not quite had that reaction. I've enjoyed all three of the films. I've not quite. I did not quite have, especially the third one, where everybody says like that's like the best like kaiju film of all time. I I, I didn't personally have that reaction to it. It's good. Um, and I actually stood. This actually stood out as being my favorite of the three. For and. I think from the point of view, and I still stand by this because my second time view. This is only my second time watching it yeah. all the way through, and my my viewing experience of it changed slightly, not too terribly, because I still enjoyed the movie watching it. Yeah. I enjoyed it from the part from the point of view of like, wow, this is a really good counterbalance to something like Godzilla versus Destroy. I think it's a super. It's a very, very, very solid origin story for a giant monster movie. Yeah, and I think it delivers on. I think by the time it reaches its end, I think its ending is very satisfying in mm-hmm. terms of like you feel that like you've been introduced to a new monster, the new guardian of the universe, and you're like jazzed about that. They get you on board with what this creature is as being like because this film leads into like the creature is essentially a superhero, and I think like with is the guardian the. Right? universe right and i think that the movie earns that by the end for for me personally um i think that it is a group where i think it is a movie where i think it's human characters actually work very well for me um and i think that um the i just think all the elements to differentiate itself from the godzilla franchise are very impressive i think the spiritual the spiritual nature to it um, that they add is very refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of where I stood at. I, I think I was just, after watching so many Godzilla films, I was more impressed that a film such as this, Gamera, um, uh, Guardian Universe, stood out as unique as it does. Mm-hmm. Um, my second time watching it, I had um, some qualms here and there, uh, more so than I did my first time with it. But I would say overall going into it, um, I, I, I still... It, it it's kind of like in that like it's kind of in that area where it's just like I just think it's solid and I think that that works more so for me than anything else and that's what I liked about it um and uh and it and it, and it I and it's just a perfect introduction to to a creature like Gamera mm-hmm. I think um and I also think it's interesting that how it is able to. Do some of its monster stuff in a different way with uh, with, with the Gauss. Um, something that struck me immediately when watching it this time around was we had some of the criticisms of Megagiris, um, where uh, they had uh, like one or two scenes where it was doing something different with like the horror element of it, and like oh it's got like you know creatures close to the ground, and like oh it's like creatures picking up people, and like something a little bit more intimate. And I felt like this movie kind of took that element but actually like committed to it enough for mm-hmm. for the film um i thought that there was a decent escalation of um of threat with the gauss and um it's interesting because like this movie just got me on board with the legacy of gamera and that it being like oh now i know like if you were to watch, like something like king of the monsters recently like that would get you on board with the legacy of Godzilla of like Godzilla's the king of the monsters and King Ghidorah is like like his joker. Like is like the, the joker yeah, yeah, to Godzilla's yeah. Batman. And I felt like this movie, if you were to tell me like, oh yeah, Gauss is like a classic Gamera villain. And you watch this movie, you're like, oh yeah,
0: I, I, I kind of get I, that. I do agree with that. I, I One of the things I really kind of felt from this movie is I think one of the most effective things was kind of the rivalry and the relationship between... The Gauss and Gamera, it actually very much gave me, in terms of just the plotting of it and even just sort of the execution in some ways, it gave me a lot of Godzilla 2014 vibes Mm -hmm. um, because it's a very similar kind of dynamic where, you know, because like the Gauss are, they call the whole thing about them is that there's multiples of them. The worry is that they're going to reproduce and like Gamera is basically going to defeat these monsters and prevent them from like overtaking everything. Mm-hmm. And I kind of really, li- I mean, obviously I really like that dynamic in 2014 with the Mutos and with Godzilla, and I think it works very well effectively here. And I think that the other thing about it is that because of the way that they introduce both of those monsters as kind of separate things, but then kind of really do connect them back together through the spiritual nature of the movie, I think it makes it, especially for someone just being introduced and even though this is a reboot and kind of a different way of interpreting those characters, it does make it very easy to kind of get that invested in it and, and and kind of still trying treating the Gauss as not necessarily like Ghidorah type of evil, but more so like, again, more so an element of nature Mm -hmm. and then, you know, and kind of Gamera becoming the kind of this, this God creature almost that comes down and, and, and reawakens to kind of protect the earth. Um, guardian of the Universe, of course. Uh, so I thought that was very effective. Um, well, because
1: the big conceit of the film is that um, Gamera and the Gauss were created by law- the lost civilization of possibly Atlantis. Like that. that's where, which yes. if we remember were plot elements that were discussed for some Godzilla films, including like the 98 Godzilla film that yeah. that was going to be. The closest we time. had
0: was Cetopia. C- C- yeah. That was the closest we had.
1: Um, so that was, so the L, so basically the origin story here is that there was an advanced civilization at one point in ancient history that got so advanced, it, uh, created the Gauss because the Gauss and Gamma are both Mm bioengineered like creatures. Um, and that they created the Gauss, they got way too out of hand. They started reproducing and started creating chaos and there was nothing that they could do about it. And, uh, so they created Gamera as a creature to maybe protect future generations, uh, from the Gauss. And the Gauss are somebody, or, or creature, uh, that are basically, have polluted the Earth. Like, even this movie ends with, like, even though, like, the eggs of the Gauss have hatched now, there's probably many more out there that we haven't seen yet, uh, th- throughout the planet. And, um... And this may be, and this is kind of like getting deep into the themes very early on into the conversation, but um, while we do have, as Nick says, a very silly Metal Gear Solid exposition scene in which uh, somebody's talking about the state of the world while we get a slideshow presentation, right? not even in-universe, just like stylistically.
0: (laughs) Right, like it's one of those things where if you know like the original Metal Gear Solid, especially like the remake, like kind of even upgrades this, of course, the, the GameCube remake, but there's points where like Snake is talking to another character in that movie, and then as they're talking about like real world issues like pollution and and war and stuff like that. It's basically just real world stock footage, not like in game stock. Footage, right. But yeah. Like real world stock footage. Essentially, the same thing happens here, where these two characters are talking about like the state of the world, pollution, everything like that, and it's just like cutting to stock footage of like oceans and and like smog and it, stuff like that. And
1: you know, while I I, I will say it, it's kind of dealt with in like it's a little hamfisted, it's a little clunky when they do it. I will say that just on a pure story level, uh, that I like the element that. They're basically kind of, like, because in the film they talk about, like, oh, like, man's, like, you know, tampering with, like, uh, nuclear material and, like, stuff like that is, like, ruining the world. And they're kind of drawing a parallel between, like, well, these ancient civilizations, that's what the Gauss were. The Gauss were basically their equivalent to us tampering with, like, nuclear material. And then it, it has not only gotten away with them, but it's something that has forever plagued Uh, the world and it's always going to be a problem to deal with and I like that parallel of like well nuclear energy and waste is something that not only are is going to be a problem now but it's going to be a problem for generations uh, to come so I like like so there's little story elements like that that I like and I Mm -hmm. have to give credit for and uh, just on a pure uh, thematic uh, how the thematics weave into the monster action uh that that got a that got a thumbs up for me
0: since we're talking about it now i do got to say that the uh the the genetically engineered twist of the characters was pretty wild when when you see it come to fruition Mm -hmm. because it's basically at the one point in the movie where they're just talking about i think it's like at some point they talk about how all the gals were female all the gals they found were female so like oh they can't reproduce and then some guy gets like a strand of dna or someone does like an analysis and it's like and he's like, he's got dino DNA. Well, it's basically like, <laughs> basically they reveal that like they reproduce asexually mm-hmm. or they can change gender. And essentially it's like, I think they're like, well, most creatures have like multiple like chromosomes mm-hmm. or like multiple like cells.
1: It, it was a uh, strands of DNA. Yeah. It like has it, multiple
0: strands of DNA. This, the, the Gauss, they only have one strand. Yeah. They have to be genetically engineered. And just because at the point in the movie you're basically thinking it's more so in a in a godzilla realm where like all these ancient creatures that kind of existed maybe on this island by themselves for a long time and then they kind of like accidentally like get released or whatever but then they're like yeah these these creatures have to be genetically genetically engineered that's the only explanation and you're just kind of like what <laughs> like <laughs> and it's just kind of it's kind of one of those things where it's like it's it's an inherently like little silly reveal but it kind of functions as something that does kind of work about the movie and just again just you don't it's a kind of a wild west world. You don't really know what they're about to establish. Especially because like the thing is is like one of the things I do really like if we go back to the beginning of the movie, as a good way of establishing these characters and these new not only your new human characters but your new creatures is essentially there's like separate but parallel um scientific kind of expeditions. Cause you have this one group of people that are on like a boat, and then they find another boat has like run a ag- like apparently run aground on coral or something like that, mm-hmm. and then they discover that this giant like what they call like an atoll or yeah, whatever yeah, mm-hmm. it is, an like, atoll, yeah, an atoll, which is like, they that's what they think it is is like existing, and they're like what what is this like this is too big to be anything that can move like we have to investigate it. Meanwhile, there's also this scientist who gets a call from like our former mentor who's basically like, you know, like he's all the last words like all that all that gets through are like birds. And like you know that sort of thing, and then they go to this island and discover that like, which is funny. Dai finally got their birds. He
1: finally got the birds in yeah. there.
0: <laughs> but see, but eventually they go on the island and figure out that like, oh, like the mentor character basically got eaten by these birds, and then they discover the gauss. So basically, you have these kind of two parallel scientific stories of two things that these people are confused by and trying to figure out, and it's kind of a nice little way of introducing both of our characters into the movie. And both of our creatures into the movie. And then and then they have the third plot
1: element with um our uh young our young girl uh who has more of the spiritual connection to gamera yeah. ultimately. Um and it's an element of the film that I think is good but ultimately I don't want to say hurts, but definitely hinders some elements of it because it does have those multiple plot lines and I think yeah. probably could have done a little bit better of tying them uh, that's, into that's one. That's the thing
0: about them, and this is one of the things that just kind of makes the movie good and stuff really great to me, is that you? I think you have interesting starts to all these storylines, and even because the spiritual stuff with the with the daughter uh, gets kind of a little bit later in the movie, but starts kind of interestingly, but then all three of them, in terms of thematics, in terms of character, were kind of peter out, especially because like the two scientist storylines or the two kind of discovery storylines do lose a little bit of steam, once the monsters are fully revealed Mm -hmm. because they, they, a lot of that is kind of predicated on the mystery or, or kind of, you know, for the Gauss, like the capture of them for Gamera, more the mystery of the Atoll. Um, whereas like, I think the spiritual storyline, um, it's one of those things that starts off very interesting and it's like, I'm very much into, it's kind of like, it speaks to that kind of Mothra lover in me where I'm like, I'm very interested in like kind of finding that spiritual connection but that one specifically, like, it just doesn't feel like they go as much in on it as they should. Mm, and mm-hmm. and it just kind of also ends up petering out. Because I feel like there should be a little bit more of like the connection between those two characters, Gamera and this daughter character. And it just kind of becomes a little bit superficial by well, the end of the movie. I,
1: you know what? I, I, I'm not going to wholly disagree. But what I said, what I found for myself was that the scientist stuff was strongest for me in the first half of the movie. Right, And, the, like that. and then the spiritual stuff with the girl became more interesting in, in the, the second, second half. And it
0: does, because that's kind of how the movie is right. divided. But it, I think one
1: of the issues for me is that they don't really hone in on a relationship between all three of the characters. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't get a sense that, like, all three of these characters are, like, friends with each other by the end, or that they're close. Right. They're just kind of, like bouncing off plot oh, mm-hmm. off of each Cause other. Like, cause the, and and, the, and the, it's the... a shame because I should say that I like all three, like, all of our characters. Like, I, and it still stands out as one of the strongest things about the movie is that our lead kind of, like, scientist character... Uh, I love I love her I think she's great in the movie and I think they get you on board with the character I think our lead actor who is like the captain of the ship who wants to take some responsibility for uh, a possible radiation leak and then that's what gets him on board on into the uh into the action I think all that's great uh, and I think like the the girl um, is uh you know i i think as 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 an actress is, is is admittedly a little questionable for me but uh but just that character itself i think fits well in and i think the father uh is a is is a nice dynamic to add into that as well um so individually i think all these characters are actually they stand up to me as like being super strong elements of, of the mm-hmm. film and it's just it it, it it's a shame that the movie doesn't quite tie them together as much. It's like when you watch something like Godzilla versus Mothra. Um, by the time you get to the end of that movie, it just feels like all of these characters have kind of come together in a certain way. Whereas, like, I don't, other than plot brings all these people together, yeah. like, I don't necessarily gather a connection between them. And it, and it creates a disconnect uh, story-wise.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's very, very true. Again, especially because, again, it's kind of a movie that's kind of divided in those two halves, where that first half is a lot more scientific, and then, again, once the creatures are discovered, it turns into that spiritual nature. But those those characters from the first half of the movie still are around. It's just more so, like, it just become their characters just essentially become, we need to, you know, protect Gamera. No, Gamera is destroying us, so we gotta fight it. So it kind of turns into that general, like, monster movie type of you know like because we've seen that in the Godzilla movies like not as strongly as this but we have definitely seen to like oh like let's go- give Godzilla a chance to fight off this monster no we got to destroy it we got to destroy it so
1: yeah and admittedly to very little effect as an audience member mm-hmm. too it's hard because I think even if you're a new I mean you can speak to this more because you just watched the movie yeah the movie doesn't necessarily make a a compelling enough case for these people to be this willing to like we have to destroy Gamera. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, because because I get what the movie's trying to do. They're they're in it. It's trying to do the man keeps on getting in its own way and it's like and it's like destroying the savior it has
0: it's very predicated on the fact and and a lot of the emotion that we're supposed to feel about it is predicated on the fact that we have this traditional government official type of character whose whole thing is like when they discover the gauss He's very much like well, we have to capture these creatures, and you know, he kind of implies that we could put them in zoos or we could, you know, put them on display and we can study them and, and maybe see if there's any benefits. Like he basically is like, we have to do this for his own greedy ways, right, right? And then as soon as like Gamera, like, lets you know, appears and like you know destroys some of the, you know, the baseball city and they're in, it destroys the city around it and like kind of scares off the gals and kills one of them, I think, at that point. Then he like that like Gamera destroyed the city, and he's bigger, so we have to like, and it's basically mm, like his explanation. Yeah. like he's bigger, and so it's predicated on the fact that we kind of are like we're supposed to see this character as like oh he's like the kind of villainous, you know, government official that we 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 know exactly who we would cast in that role.
1: Yeah, but you know what's interesting about that. But guy? but it
0: doesn't really like he's not villainous enough. No, that that that's the thing though. It's like <laughs> it's kind of predicated like the movie's supposed to be like yeah, you're supposed to hate this guy for doing it. But it's kind of like you yeah, know, at the end
1: of the day, he seems to kind of like get in line with what needs to be done. Yeah, that's the the thing where that kind of you're right. I never thought about it that way. That plot line doesn't really work because no. yeah, he's kind of seemingly has like a. You're right. He seems to have a narrow-minded vision of, like, well, we need to capture these people and then destroy Gamera, but but at the same time, like, but then when he's, like, all right, yeah, like, because they try to play the card where he's, like, oh, I wish we had Gamera now, and they're just, like, ah, oh, you idiot, like, <laughs> and it's just, like, but you don't feel it as, like, that's no, the comeuppance. you don't,
0: because, again, eventually, like, the the only indicate like, because the only indication that the camera is good is eventually, like, when they're, like, looking at Gamera, there's, like, a ancient ruin on him and and basically like this kind of prophecy of just like Gamera is the protector and the grouse are like evil it's basically what it says right right and even like that you know our evil gar- our quote-unquote evil government official is like that's all you have is this slab telling you that Gamera is like you know good it's again he doesn't really believe in the spiritual nature but also it's it's just like yeah maybe he could have gone after both the the Gauss and Gamera, but like it's just like there's not enough there for me to really like hate on this guy, other than the fact that like they present him as like, again, the traditional like smarmy government official that like is just like, you know, yeah, give like brushing away all type, all advice at every turn.
1: I, I just feel like it ultimately ends up feeling like too much of the easiest way to go in a movie like this, and uh, in an uninteresting way where it's like. All right, well, there's two monsters, and then they end up shooting the wrong, the wrong one. Like you know, yeah. it, it's just kind of like, and and to me, it, it's I don't know how to describe it other than it, it's just not quite as satisfying through th- that. And I and I don't want to say even that because there are certain elements of it that are still great. Like I think that. A lot of like, I, I actually think the Gauss stuff is like very impressive in the film, like how they achieve like yeah, what the Gauss look pr- looks like. Pretty cool. Uh, and uh I think like Gamera, like all, and all that stuff, and all like the action and things, uh, uh really delivers. Yeah, um, um, and and I actually do like that guy who who plays our quote unquote bad guy. Mm. Like it's just like you're right. Like they just. If, the perfect guy like kind of like what we said with mothra just like you cast the perfect guy that just embodies like what that role right is. And it's like
0: it's like a lot of the stuff that does become effective about the characters is based off his performance and it's not deep enough i think to really make it fully effective but he tries with yeah. their role what, you, what did you think about just like our human cast in general i think they were good uh it's the same thing i think they were pretty solid again i just think that the, especially with the scientist characters, the movie kind of ran out of things to do once the kind of monsters appeared on the scene. Yeah. I like, wouldn't they, disagree with they that. Didn't, they just didn't have much of a presence in the second half. And then, so our spiritual element of the character is that we do have this daughter, um, that's kind of related to one of the plot lines that like, kind of tangentially, I think. Um, but like essentially she is given a, like a, what she thinks is like a rock or a jewel, from this kind of atoll, yeah, it, which is from Gamera, is it was found Gamera. on Gamera. Gamera. Yeah, so she wears it as a necklace, and eventually, what this does is it makes it gives her a like connection to yeah. Gamera, like, it, like an emotional l- connection to like the ET like, to Elliot, like yeah. it, like basically to the point did. where like Gamera will get sliced in the arm, and then her arm will like burst open, and blood will be pouring out, right? Like right. It's, like something like that, and she gets into a coma, and at, like, at the same time, Gamera is in a coma. I, I do think this is kind of a more, like, again, to me, just the most inherently interesting because it's such a spiritual nature oh, sure. of the character. And I think it starts off well. And I thought it was, like, very interesting. Oh, like, she actually gets damaged when Gamera gets damaged, and there's a lot of that stuff. But I just felt like, to me, it was kind of very much the same thing at the very end of the day. That at this kind of last battle, it just felt like there needed to be a little bit more of that Elliot E.T. type of connection. Like, I feel like. Even with the kind of connection, it was just feels like there wasn't really a like a connection. I never really saw her really kind of interact with Gamera mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. too much. And it feel it feels like one of those things where it's more it, – it kind of felt like – and I don't know if this was an intention. But to me, it kind of felt like more like, oh, she's kind of being possessed kind of by the to Gamera. So it was kind of more so like the rock is making her – respect Gamera whereas I felt like it needed to feel a little bit more organic I feel Mm -mm. like a little bit more like Mm. she has this connection but she seeks out Gamera or something and then like oh it's like this creature is actually just like a nice creature and trying to protect us and you know it's kind of that thing I just feel like it just it just didn't go all the way with it and I feel like it just kind of still me especially because she was then in a coma for a while and then she she wakes up and like, the whole thing is like, "We need to save Gamora," and it's like, "Yeah, well, we, you know, it's just like it never really gelled the way I wanted it to." Um, but it still was the uh, most I, fascinating uh, aspect of the movie, and probably still the aspect of it I ended up kind of, of those human characters that I ended up enjoying most.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not gonna fight you too hard on that because I, I will say it worked for me but i think one of the things that would have helped them out a little bit more is to just establish the mechanics of how all of this works. Yeah.
0: Yeah, even this that because like, i just think like it's just kind of because it's so vague I, like what her actual connection is and like how that connects well, it to her. Well, uh, the, the
1: the the issue for better or for worse is that it becomes a very general like clap if you believe in fairies like type of thing. Like it, it's really just this generic uh like she's connected to Gamera and because she believes in Gamera, Gamora is going to win. Yeah. And I think that Kaneko plays that too uh I don't know if it's like broadly or too subtly for it to like it, it, and it just feels like there's just there's just not uh, if you don't connect with it just on the basic thematic level, there's nothing more tangible right. to, to to hook on to that. Yeah. But 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 to that point it did work for me in the sense where there was enough uh there were enough elements to make me get on board with what was going on because i will admit for myself like the Gamera getting the like you know getting the blast in like the in the in the forehead or something and then she gets a gash in the forehead like that added enough of like the urgency yeah. of the situation mm-hmm. uh, to me and in a way that a Godzilla film never has mm-hmm. and it was maybe more of that unique uh, nature to it and one of my favorite little plot points that I didn't notice until this time seeing it is that right before Gamera takes out Gauss once and for all is that. Uh, Gauss, there there is a very specific shot of Gauss shooting its blast and like nicking Gamera, and you think it's just like oh they that was just a weird shot that they don't sense that. And right as he's powering up and the girl is cheering him on, she like clasps hands with her father, and there's a bit of a plot line in the, in this film that the, the while the father isn't like negligent just kind of like lets his daughter do his own thing as there's this sense that she wishes that he was kind of like a little bit more involved in her life mm-hmm. than she is. And he even has that statement later where he's like, Oh, like, you know, I should know my daughter better. Uh, and so then at this point during the final battle, she clasps hands with his, with her father. And then when the battle's done, um, he raises up his hand to like the forehead where Gamera got the nick in his head. So it's kind of like implying that he felt that, um, in the same way that the daughter was feeling all the damage. So it's kind of this little, uh, Spiritual element that like our like Gamora is yeah. really one with all and then like you know and all this nonsense about like you know the 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 bonds of friends and family is what brings all of us together and the real Gamora is the friends we made along the way and yeah none of this is reinventing the wheel it's a it's a little bit hokey but I would be lying if I said that that none of that's that
0: yeah. that stuff really worked for me I think it's very fair yeah. I again I just kind of wish. This just was a little bit deeper for me. Mm-hmm. A little bit more that uh,
1: admittedly way. because that is the, that moment where he like reaches up to his head is probably the most nuanced version of like what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It happens. And that's what it is. It's like a moment that happens in the yeah. the final act of the film. Mm-hmm. Um so uh so so there so there's that. Uh that was one hell of an explosion though. Oh yeah. That was oh, oh, that yeah. dude. The explosions that happen in the final moments of this film are awesome. Yes,
0: incredible stuff. Definitely, like, when you're watching it, it is spectacle. Yeah. It is
1: great. Yeah, it's, like, because Gamera, like, you know, like, basically plummets from, like, the atmosphere. Not only explodes everything in the middle of, like, this fuel center, but then Gauss comes along and explodes more. Yeah, And then Gamera explodes Gauss into just an awesome... Just like right. mushroom and cloud. Let's, it, it's amazing. Let's
0: also establish that Gamera... Well, first of all, can I just say this? I did not know that Gamera had rocket boosters. Yes. that is seems to be a very big element of the character. Yeah,
1: so Gamera's uh, feet turning into rocket boosters has always been an aspect of Gamera in in the Showa era. Maybe
0: I believe That made me instantly fall in love with Gamera, I will tell you that much. A creature that has like... You know, like, again, for me, the greatest moment in Godzilla history is when Godzilla flies with his breath. Mm-hmm. And a creature that can do that basically at any time, just basically, like, just has random rocket boosters kind of coming out of his legs. And the thing is, that's the thing about it. That's what it exactly looks like. It looks like, like, you got, like, the jetpack in Smash Brothers, like that jetpack power up. Mm-hmm. And you're basically just flying around. Or like the rocketeer. You're like the rocketeer over here. And the fact that, like, yeah, Ray could just put his legs in his body and then just, like... Literally like what looks like, like jet fuel, like rocket air, like burst out of his legs and he just starts flying around. That's a way into my heart right there. That's a way to like grab my attention as, as a monster, as a kaiju. Uh, but but in that, in that end last battle, you got to remember that Gamera like takes the Gauss and flies all the way into outer space. Like no qualms about it, just out of the atmosphere and then boom, all the way back down to the ground. Yeah. It,
1: it, it, it it's really cool stuff. I think I do think the UFO spinning is unique to this series of films. Mm-hmm. I, I don't recall that being a thing in previous camera films. That's um, great too. Yeah, uh, it always reminds me of uh, Squirtle using hydro pump in the uh, in the anime series yeah. of Pokemon. Um, so yeah, I like I, I like all that. Um, so I like all that. Um, oh, uh, also, I would be remiss if I didn't say this: is that um, this film does feature one of, if not the first, uh, female suit performer uh, in uh, Gauss. Nice. Uh, because um, Gauss uh, required a little bit more of a different body build, and Kaneko just felt like there needed to be uh, just more uh, females working in the
0: field I to give g- it a chance. I generally overall like the, the suit work in this movie, and yeah. I did generally overall like the monster action in this movie. And that's what... You know, and if you've been with the podcast for any period of time, or if you haven't, you just know that, uh, like, a really, the monster action really makes or breaks a movie. And I really felt that, again, getting these kind of two unique creatures, again, different than what we've seen in the Toho canon in, in many ways. Uh, I just enjoyed thoroughly, like, I enjoyed kind of the stuff at the baseball stadium and kind of that first appearance of, that first real appearance of, of Gamera uh, and the grouse in the stadium was really cool i um there is that kind of um the ending fight was really a lot of fun and kind of brought even with my kind of mixed feelings on kind of how the human plot lines and spirituality had been up to that point kind of still really brought the the right, film to a very satisfactory conclusion very entertaining even even the kind of stuff in that bridge sequence um like with the monster stuff I thought was very cool why our human character ran to the middle of that bridge to get that child you know when the when the mother was running with the child, yeah. Well, like obviously no, it, he was there at the right well, time. It was like, our
1: lead scientist. She was like she had the kid for some reason. So she, I even had that thought. Like, what is he gonna do? Like, right? Because he's, he's gonna like, hit
0: halfway to the bridge, and maybe he'll like. I guess he'll take some of the burden off yeah. by like making her not carry it all the ridge. But then you have two people on this bridge that is going to break. Yeah. So
1: yeah it it, it it it's it yeah i mean well, the bridge moment in that.
0: mothra was a little bit it's basically the same bridge moment that's in mothra and the mothra it was one, funny
1: that we just got finished watching a. Movie and the mothra one, one was, was a little bit
0: better put together
1: yeah um so so yeah um so overall and, and the last thing i did want to say before we kind of wrap up is now that you've seen this movie uh, with Kaneko also doing GMK and just like everything we've talked about Kaneko, is there anything that has been highlighted now? Because remember his work on these Gamera movies is what ultimately has led his. Uh,
0: I mean just the whole preamble his very much his willingness to just kind of th- throw what you know about the character out the window and completely different that's yeah. really what kind of defines him to me as a director mm. it's very much like 'Cause again, like with Gamera, it's not like so far removed, but it basically like you've talked about, like, they've added the spiritual element. You've added this new backstory, you know, kind of that. And then GMK, like the whole thing about GMK is it completely alters the characters of Godzilla and Ghidorah. You know, it makes Ghidorah a hero. It makes Godzilla, you know, a a siphon for the anger of, of post World War II, you know, Japan and stuff like that. And it's just like completely shifts what those the character dynamics and it feels like that's kind of an element of this movie as well uh i also think that he's very much into the spiritual aspects and the spiritual connections that we have to not just nature but in some senses to the people around us and to the past and really kind of bringing that home into a, a spiritual version of that um I think that really is kind of also a defining element of his work just based on these two movies alone. Yeah, yeah, because there's a level of like not there's
1: like a 90 to 10% uh like ratio of like what he'll adapt and what he'll keep so there's a little bit of like clearly by the end of this movie he does keep the whole Gamera is a hero uh of the un like you know he's he's the guardian of the universe he's a hero uh and like the kids love him and he's more of a family friendly like you know you you love Gamera, uh whereas so he keeps that and i think that in gmk uh, he was trying to keep that that Godzilla is a destructive force from a historical event, mm-hmm. and that's the thing that he was trying to keep in in those films, and or in in that film. Uh, for my money, personally, I, I think that uh, his work uh, here on camera was is a little bit more successful. I agree. Uh, because, I would agree because regardless of conceptually where we land off, I just think the elements of how this film works. Um, uh, just works a little bit better uh, for for me um so so overall uh like when i think about the movie um i did walk away with it um thinking that there are those little plot points that um, could have been refined a little bit um i think that uh, it's not a long movie it's only a, it's it, the movie's only an hour and a half which is actually a uh, pretty conservative it does for fly Donnie. by it does yeah. it doesn't
0: really outstay its welcome but it does you never really feel like a lack of pace. It does feel like the movie moves, which again, it helps it, you know, um, helps it kind of smooth over some of its issues. I think.
1: And I think one of the things is like, like I actually think a lot of the monster action is pretty good. I think that the third act monster action kind of gets caught a little bit into the monster sumo wrestling thing um, that I actually think is rectified as the, as these films go on. Um, But, but overall I like walked away from it, like thinking like just solid, monster origin story yeah
0: and i i will say i've come come away from it just for me it's like i did enjoy gamera as a hero monster and it was kind of nice in the sense of again because really if we're comparing it to the Hazy era Hazy era godzilla really never got its hero moment destroy was maybe the closest um as space godzilla and destroy was maybe the closest it had but it really never got its true hero moment whereas like it was really kind of nice to see just a Hazy era film where the monster even though it is attacked at some points, it does become the hero that the characters believe in. Um, and I think that the Gamera design in, th- in this movie kind of works just as the giant turtle thing. The flying was really cool. The movement I think really kind of helped the character out. And I guess like that would be the element of like, if I were to continue on with the Gamera series, which I definitely have not opposed to, again, it's not something I want to dive in right away. But I guess the thing I would be more interested in is just like seeing the evolution of Godzilla over these movies. I would like to see how, if at all, these other two, like, Hasty-era Gamera films, like, evolve that character and the way that the action evolves and stuff like that. Because I definitely think whenever you have a first kaiju movie, you know, and we see it, I think we see it with 84 and we see it with even, um, you know, 2014 Godzilla. There's always kind of a sense of, like, trying to just figure out what you can do with that character. And kind of what you can do with this new version of the character. Um, Whereas, like, I think, like, in, like, later Hasty films for Godzilla and even, like, in King of the Monsters for the 2014 Godzilla, you kind of open it up a little bit more. You kind of have a little bit more fun. And I guess, like, what I would want to see with those other two Gamera movies is if there's a little bit more kind of variety, a little more fun to be had with kind of the Gamera action. But generally speaking, I was fairly impressed with Gamera as a monster. And I definitely enjoyed that aspect of the movie. And it was really cool this is again just like mothra stepping back in the show era just to step back into the hasty era and kind of step back into that realm of filmmaking and to kind of see just an alternate viewpoint an alternate uh studio uh and an alternate monster kind of again parallel and just off the coattails of godzilla i thought that was just a fairly interesting part of this watch yeah so i was very happy to see it and at some point maybe i'll watch the other two Well, uh, we'll
1: definitely – because that kind of wraps up our conversation for today. And and honestly, it took me a little while to think about if uh, we should delve into this. But I'm actually going to take our deep dive episode and talk a little bit more about the ongoing history of Gamera going forward uh, for our next episode. Very Uh, So we will actually be diving a little bit deeper into uh, not only the rest of this trilogy but uh, just some other information about Gamera and then the the future of Gamera after that, because you know, for the closest thing that Godzilla has to a rival, Gamera has like just a very interesting um, history of being outside that Toho family. Mm-hmm. So we'll be spending our deep dive episode not only talking about that, but just you know, what life does non Toho films have in the uh you know in the uh in the kaiju uh filmdom, um if that is a word, yeah. it's not. Uh, but uh, so yeah um, but speaking about this movie in particular this movie was a huge success I mean th- this movie well, wa- th- yeah this movie was critically acclaimed uh, it was a it was a financial success uh, enough where they were going to uh, continue on with the trilogy of films um, not that it was planned as a trilogy it's just what ended up happening um, it also became one of those things where because Gamera again both in Japan and internationally, which is kind of known as a joke. And, like, people actually went into this film both in the States and in Japan, more so in the States of, like, getting ready to make fun of it because... Uh, the other thing about Gamera, which you didn't mention, is that uh, you had kind of briefly talked about, it, is that uh, it became kind of more infamous for in Mystery Science Theater three thousand, where there's a lot of uh, where Gamera was a, a good friend of uh, the uh, of the uh, crew in uh, Mystery Science Theater three thousand, where they made fun of a lot of uh, the Gamera films. Yeah. Well, Godzilla's um, not immune to
0: that either. So no, no, like, not it's, at all. It's kind but, of a good step. But uh, so, and especially. Gamera and the way that we've described, especially those Showa era movies, as being kind of very kid friendly. That is a realm of Mystery Science Theater that is very just easy to kind of find. Sure. Especially if they're, because they're generally watching the dubbed versions, which are going to make it even more kind of hokey and, and kind of campy. So that's definitely like a way. Because Youngery, their Youngery episode in the recent seasons was very much the same way, where um, you know, that movie kind of has like the dance, the, the famous like dan- kid dancing with the monster and stuff like that, which is very much like pure mystery science theater. So I can imagine if I went to go see those Gamma episodes of mystery science theater, just really up their alley.
1: Well, because so with that in mind, it was all that that's kind of what Gamma is known for. And then when you get like a scene where, you know, the gauss talon rips off the top of the boat and kills a dude. Mm-hmm. uh or even like that a, that's very jarring that's a very jarring like, again difference. like
0: there's the one point where he, like you know Gamera gets hurt and when the the girl who spiritually like her arm just like burst open with blood like, yeah that's a very shocking moment exactly so um uh
1: so again just like it, it was definitely and it was seen as like this new uh just this new uh reinvigoration for for the kaiju filmmaking a lot of people just saw uh this first film in that way and i think the the legacy of this film is that a lot of people consider this to be like a solid good start and mm-hmm. with great things uh to Ahead. come uh, okay. which we which we will talk about but um ultimately at the end of the day that's your introduction to uh the giant turtle uh the titanic turtle as i call him the guardian of the universe the brave a friend of all children it is camera
0: turtle in a flying shell. Yeah,
1: um, <laughs> I saw it. I see what you tried to do there. Um, maybe and then maybe one day we'll get our rats movie. Rats. That's just Willard though. Just the movie Willard. Yeah. Yeah. Ratatouille. <laughs> they tried to do that with like a bunch of rats, but the problem is, it's like when you get sewer rats to try to cook, they don't do. They don't. Cook. They don't wash their hands. Yeah, they don't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Remy washes his hands. Well, we got an answer, too. Who is Harrison? Ford? Yes, who is Harrison Ford? In All right, this film? I think I got it. I'll he, let, okay, I'll let you take this one. He's the coach of the baseball team that they used the, at that stadium to capture the Gals, who's very upset when the stadium gets ruined. In this monster fight, I think he you know, yeah he's very because he had a good team this season. They were gonna win like you know the 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 championship, and now they have to like go find a new stadium because they tried to capture these goddamn birds yeah in this goddamn stadium yeah. He, this is not their stadium
1: yeah. He should be like he's like he's like well you know we have a game we have a big game tomorrow so like hopefully nothing happens to this stadium, and then like when like Gamera comes into the stadium and tears down the building, he's like my
0: stadium. Yeah. Of course, I was also going to say, of course, it's uh, 90s Japan because there's a big baseball scene. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's when, like, I mean, baseball was a very, you know, kind of sport. But, like, 90s Japan baseball, it's another kind of big cultural touchstone of that era. It's like baseball really coming into its own in that country. Hey, it's a, it's a solid set piece. No doubt nice. about it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that di- that uh, deals yeah. with it. So next time, do we'll... we know where we are going next time on the Godzilla side of things? Uh,
1: you know what? Um, I think uh, yeah, I'll I'll keep that one a little close close to the chest because the next one actually could uh, may need a little may need a little bit of planning. So I'm gonna I'm gonna keep Ooh. that one to be a surprise. Okay. Yeah, oh. I just I, I want to. The only reason I'm not saying is because I want to. Really nailed down in my head exactly how we're going to approach the next one, and okay. I don't want to prematurely uh, promise, say, anything. You know, promise anything. Promise um, okay. anything, but well, uh, fair enough. But I, I can promise that our next deep dive episode will be uh, more about the uh, Gamera series and um, just a further discussion about non uh, Toho uh, kaiju films.
0: Okay, so like, would it be? Are we going to talk about more than camera too? Because yeah, I, be yeah. I would be very, very interested to kind of talk about, like, like go a little bit deeper into Younger and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, uh, next hey, time. We oh wait. Are, so next time is not a Godzilla episode. It's a Bond episode.
1: What are we talking about? And
0: we are going to celebrate the the lovely man uh, that played Bond for two films. Yes. Uh, Timothy Dalton. We're going to go into his life and career and we are going to discuss his most notable pre-bond role in Flash Gordon. What's really funny is that I was I was re-listening to the Dalton episodes just to get myself in the mood. I did specifically mention that we should look at Flash Gordon in the future. So, it is come to fruition, ladies and gentlemen. It's happening. And then also We're finally going back to space. Yes. And What's also very exciting is when that episode comes out, we're basically going to be a month away from No Time to Die. It's coming soon, Will. Yep. It's coming real soon. It's exciting. And I also, Will kind of knows my plans for April, and I'm very excited for April as well. Ab- absolutely. Um, all right. So um, I'm done. You're done. We're done. All right. Plug away. Well, we have uh, a Twitter, twitter.com slash bonzilla007, facebook.com slash bonzilla007. Uh, emailed at gmail, uh, bonzilla, email at gmail. At bonsilpod at gmail.com. Like and subscribe. iTunes and SoundCloud leave a comment. We did get a very nice comment on our SoundCloud this week that I was very happy to receive. I don't know if you saw it. Did you see it? No. Okay. (laughs) I, I don't have the name with me, so unfortunately, if you're listening, I'm sorry I don't have your name right now. Um but basically this person said uh it was a comment on our final wars episode, and this person said that they just stumbled upon this podcast, and now this will be the only podcast they listen to. Oh this is wow! The, this is the only podcast they would ever listen to. Well, that's that's high
1: praise. I yeah. hope,
0: uh, especially because our Final Wars episode was pretty good. That's yeah. a pretty good episode.
1: Yeah, good. But well, that's
0: it. That's the plugs. I'm glad you're
1: enjoying it. Yeah. Good. All right. Well. Uh, until next time, uh, I'm Will and I'm Nick, and
0: uh, keep on zilling. Yes. A uh, rocket raccoon voice. We're the guardians of the universe. <laughs>